It's 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Let us hear God's word. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up. So that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you. For I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps... I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door of effective work is opened to me. And there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you. For he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I'm expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He's quite unwilling to go, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanas were the first converts in Achaia and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanas, Fortunatus, And Achaias arrived, because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets in their house. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Come, Lord, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen indeed. And may God bless the reading and the preaching of his word. So this is the last in our series of sermons on the book of 1 Corinthians. 
don't know if you're feeling emotional. It's been quite a journey, isn't it? It's been quite epic. I was trying to work out when we started this series, and I've worked it out. It was the 22nd of April, 2018. So over a year we've been on this journey. And it's been quite epic, hasn't it? We've been working through the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, isn't it? And now we've come to the very last chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And it's on page 1157 in the Bibles. But before we look at God's word, shall we pray and ask that God would speak to us in power for the preaching of his word in the power of the Holy Spirit? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, please speak to us all tonight. Thank you that you have spoken to us tonight already as we've read your holy, pure, inspired word. Thank you that no doubt you've already spoken to us tonight through the words of the songs. and Maybe we've been able to give a word of encouragement to each other that you've used us tonight already. Oh Lord God, I pray that you'll speak now by the preaching of your word in the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh Lord God, I pray that you will speak and that we will change. May we all leave this place tonight more in love with Jesus, more in love with his word, more in love with each other, more in love with the lost. May we leave this place tonight full of joy and peace of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the book of 1 Corinthians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a local church in ancient ancient Greece. Uh, The church was in a city called Corinth, a port city. And it was probably written in the year AD 54, probably AD 54. That's what the experts say. So about 20 years after Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. Now, On the 22nd of April, 2018, when I first preached a message on the book of 1 Corinthians, I said there are four things that are helpful to remember if we want to understand the book of 1 Corinthians and if we want to live out the book of 1 Corinthians. I don't know if anyone remembers what they are. Probably not. I had to even look it up myself, (laughs) and I preached it. The first one is, who is... 1 Corinthians written by. So if we know the answer to that, that'll help us to understand the book and help us to live it out. Because that's what we want to do, isn't it? We want to live out this book, the Bible. Secondly, who is 1 Corinthians written to? There's a clue in the question, really, isn't there? Thirdly, what do the church of God have? What do Christians have? And then fourthly, what will the church of God have? And the answer to all those four questions is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, the very first chapter, the very first eight sentences of the book. So if we maybe turn right back to the beginning of the book, on page 1144, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, we get the answer to that. Who is 1 Corinthians written by? 
Who is 1 Corinthians written to? What do the church of God have? What will the church of God have? What do we read there? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So that's who the letter is written by, an apostle, a messenger from God. So the book of 1 Corinthians isn't the words of a man, it's the word of God, isn't it? And we're going to put God's word into action because it's God speaking to us. If another human being was telling us what to do, we'd think, well, what right have you got to tell me what to do? But this is a message from God, isn't it? An apostle, a sent one from Christ Jesus by the will of God. So when the apostles were speaking and writing, they were speaking with the authority of God. It was inspired. And our brother... Uh, Sosthenes. It looks as if it was Sosthenes that was actually writing the letter. So Paul was probably dictating, and then he was writing it all down. Verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So who is 1 Corinthians written to? It's written to the church, the church of God. So to help us to actually live out the instructions in the book of 1 Corinthians, it's so important that we belong to a church family, isn't it? It's very difficult to actually put 1 Corinthians into practice unless we belong to a church family. And then look at verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. And that's the answer to the question, what has the church of God been given? Grace. We've been given grace in abundance. What is grace? It's undeserved kindness or favor, isn't it? It's God's undeserved help, isn't it? That's how we can change, only by God's grace. That's how we can live for God, only by God's grace. Then verse 5. For in him you've been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. So God has gifted the church. He's given us spiritual gifts so we can live out the Bible. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ Jesus among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. And that is what the church of God are waiting for. That's what we will have, a revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, he will also keep you firm to the end, so that you'll be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? When Jesus returns, all sin and all the effects of sin will vanish, isn't it? among his followers, among the church. Isn't that exciting? And that's what keeps us going, isn't it? When we find church life hard, when we find life hard, we can look forward to the future. It's not always going to be like this. It's not always going to be this disappointing or frustrating, hard or difficult. That's what keeps us going, that keeps us motivated, isn't it? It inspires us. The end is at sight. And much of the book of 1 Corinthians is 
the Apostle Paul's reply to a letter he received from the church at Corinth. So the church at Corinth wrote a letter to the Apostle Paul asking him probably a list of questions and then his letters reply to them. And we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, don't we? Now, for the matters you wrote about. So it seems as if the church of Corinth probably asked the Apostle Paul questions about marriage, whether they should be eating this meat sacrificed to idols. They probably asked the Apostle Paul questions about spiritual gifts. So 1 Corinthians is kind of like a reply, isn't it? The Apostle Paul replying to the church of Corinth. But Paul also needed to correct and rebuke the church at Corinth for some sins. There was some bad stuff going on in the church at Corinth. Um, One preacher preached a series on the book of 1 Corinthians, and he called it Bad Church, a Good Gospel. I think that's a good title for a series in the book of 1 Corinthians. It was a bad church, but they had a good gospel, didn't they? There was hope for them. So Paul had to sort of correct them of the sins of division. He said, look, there are cliques in your church. God, stop. You're divided. You're not perfectly united. So he had to correct and rebuke them of that sin. He had to correct and rebuke them of sexual immorality. There was gross sexual immorality going on in the church. They were abusing the Lord's Supper, weren't they? Communion. There was disorder in their worship. There was false teaching. That's just to mention a few, isn't it? So you have to correct and rebuke the church of Corinth as well. So I wonder, can you imagine what it must have been like for the, for the poor guy who had to read this out for the very first time? Maybe the church had gathered together and there was like a knock on the door or something. Oh, look, we got a letter from Paul. Oh, this is exciting. I wonder what Paul's got to say. And then someone stands up the front, opens up the scroll, and... Maybe the first sort of eight verses are quite nice, aren't they? But then the Apostle Paul starts putting the boot in, doesn't he? He says, you've got a few stuff that you're doing. got to stop. You've got to cut it out. And he starts mentioning specific people, isn't he? He starts mentioning some people in the church that he's had reports from. So Chloe's household, you can imagine everyone saying, Chloe, what have you told him, isn't it? What have you told the Apostle Paul? So could you imagine what it was like? It takes, it takes an hour to read the book of 1 Corinthians. So for an hour, they had this book read out to them. What was it like at the end then? They were probably, there was probably about half an hour of silence, don't you think? And they said, we probably need to hear that again. <laughs> Let's have a quick coffee break, and we need to hear that again. Let's remind ourselves of what we need to put right in this church. What are we doing wrong? So as we come to this last sermon, probably the last sermon, the last message on this book of 1 Corinthians, it's good to ask the question, how has God most powerfully spoken to us from the book of 1 Corinthians over the last year? Maybe it's a bit of an awkward question because sometimes it's hard to remember. I can't even remember. (laughs) But is there something that stood out for you over the last year, over the last maybe 13 months or so? from the book of 1 Corinthians. I think for me, the big message is holiness matters. Because that's what the Apostle Paul is doing in the book of 1 Corinthians. He's correcting them and rebuking them of sin. This is going on in your church. 
It's got to stop. That is going on in your church. It's got to stop. The way you live matters. It really matters. And he's telling them, don't judge people outside the church. Don't tell them to sort of change their lives. You've got to change your lives inside. You need to lovingly correct each other. I heard of uh, a great uh, slogan that the church have um, in, uh, in Preston, a church in Preston. Uh, sort of our sort of, is it slogan or tagline, what you call it? Knowing Christ, making Christ known is ours, isn't it? What do you call that? Whatever you call it. <laughs> anyway, it's like a tag, tagline. Yeah, tagline. So this church had this one. You've probably heard this before. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. I can almost imagine that the Apostle Paul said, if you're looking for a tagline, why don't you have that one, Church of Corinth? Tell people, come as you are. Come to Jesus with your sin, ready to repent of it. Come as you are to church to hear the gospel, to hear a life-changing message so you can change. But don't stay as you are. Once you've met Jesus, once you've believed this gospel, repented of your sin, you should be changed forever and ever. How you live matters. But as I read through the book of 1 Corinthians in one go, I will be honest with you, chapter 13 did sort of jump out. There's something about it. Uh, it only takes an hour to read the book of 1 Corinthians. Try it. But there's something about chapter 13. It's honestly, you sort of wake up a little bit. There's something about the tone that sort of changes. Um, Maybe because we're so familiar with it, but I don't know. But let me read um, verses 4 to 8 of 1 Corinthians 13. And I was thinking, maybe this is significant because it does sort of grab your attention. It does sort of make you sort of sit up a little bit when you read through the whole book in one sitting. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Maybe because it's so powerful and poetic. Maybe that's why it sort of stood out for me when I read it all in one go. That's quite powerful, isn't it? In a way, the Apostle Paul could have just sent that to them. That was the answer to all their troubles, wasn't it? If a church was divided and it had cliques, there was sexual immorality going on in the church, people were getting drunk, people were sort of suing each other. If they did that... How transformed would the church have been? 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8. That's the answer to all their problems, isn't it? Could you imagine if every single church on planet Earth was sort of consistently and faithfully living that out? That's the answer to all of the church's problems, almost, isn't it? If we live that out. I don't know what... What do some churches find difficult? Maybe some people think, oh, 
We'd love to have a better attendance. We'd love to see more people on a Sunday night and in prayer meeting. Well, if there was an opportunity to live that out on a Sunday night and on a Wednesday night, if you were going to experience that on a Sunday night and a Wednesday night, we'd be overflowing, isn't it? I can't wait to go on a Sunday night. I can't wait to go on a Wednesday night because I'm going to be loved and I'm going to have an opportunity to love other people. I got an opportunity to live out 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 to 8 among my church family, isn't it? Every opportunity, sort of a fr- serving on a Friday night or whatever, isn't it? People say, I'll just have a chance to see my brothers and sisters in Christ for just a little bit and experience this love, isn't it? It's incredible words, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 to 8. So how does the letter end? 1 Corinthians chapter 16. How does the letter end? Well, it seems as if the Apostle Paul is just basically saying, bye, isn't it? See you soon. Hope to see you next year. It sounds like he's doing a bit of housekeeping or something, isn't it? But there's more to it than that. It's more than just a bit of housekeeping. And 1 Corinthians 16 is closely connected to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is about the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of the dead when Jesus returns. And then... At the end of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul ends with this. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So what is the Apostle Paul saying there? Because Jesus is alive, work hard for the gospel. Because Jesus is alive, your work for the gospel won't be a waste of time. It won't be in vain. The Apostle Paul is basically saying, because Jesus is coming back, work hard for the gospel. Because Jesus is coming back, your work for the gospel certainly won't be a waste of time. Because Jesus is coming back to reward you for the work you've done in your body, work hard for the gospel. And any hard work you do for the gospel, it won't be a waste of time. Because Jesus is coming back to reward you for what you've done. So then it leads on nicely then, doesn't it, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is really about working hard for the gospel. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we see sort of three resources God has given the church in order for her to do gospel work. Three resources that God has given us in order for us to do gospel work. And the first one is money. That's a gift from God, isn't it? We've all got probably enough money to buy food, isn't it? That's a gift from God, isn't it? Secondly is is time. God has given us time. And then thirdly, God has given the church people, isn't it? Churches and buildings. Churches are people, isn't it? And there are lessons then in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 on how best to use those resources, on how best to use those resources. And then the last time we looked at money, didn't we? 1 Corinthians 16 verses 1 to 4. 
Uh, now, about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up. So when I come, no collections left to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Now, I wonder if this was a little bit of a test that the Apostle Paul was giving the church at Corinth. I wonder if the Apostle Paul was now giving them an example of how they can show love and holiness. We've all heard the saying, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Have you heard that saying? I think it was Theodore Roosevelt who said it, an American president. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. So the Apostle Paul is saying, so you've had this letter now of 1 Corinthians. Maybe some of you might be tempted to memorize it, especially maybe 1 Corinthians 13. Maybe some of you say, oh, well, we've learned a lot here, haven't we, from this letter from Paul, this first letter from Paul. Ah, it doesn't matter how much you know, does it? It doesn't matter how much you know. What matters is how much you care. If you've really understood this letter that I've just sent to you, Paul is thinking, then you'll do this. You'll do this. Because the church at Corinth, they were described as worldly, sort of carnal, fleshly, weren't they? The church at Corinth were selfish. They were greedy. Remember, they were cliques in the church. They were having their sort of private little suppers. They were greedy. And then the Apostle Paul is basically telling them, if you really want to change, if you really want to show love and holiness, then do this. There's this church, the church in Jerusalem, they are needy and they are poor because of the famine. You know, they're starving to death. Men, women, and children starving to death in this church in Jerusalem. Do you really care for them? Do you care about them? Then this is what you need to do. Collect money and send it to them. And maybe the church of Corinth were probably thinking, what? Caring for other people? And the Apostle Paul's like, yes. You're at each other's throats. How about you forget about all that, you unite together as a family, and you think about the needs of others, the thing... You think about the needs of the church in Jerusalem. Care for the poor church in Jerusalem. And um, maybe I'll mention this, but as as elders, that is something that we're praying about. Uh, We hope to maybe help maybe a poor church somewhere in the world, isn't it? A church that we can pray for regularly, isn't it? By name, that we know the members, the people serving there. And if God is good to us, we might be able to help them financially as well. That's something we're thinking and praying about. So we'd love your prayer for us, that you'd give us wisdom as we think about that. So that was money. What else has God given the church? He's given us time, hasn't he? He's given us 24 hours every day. Uh, Apparently, uh, King Alfred sort of split his day into three eight hours. He said sort of eight hours for um, sleeping, and then eight hours for his work, and then it was eight hours for sort of leisure, 
or for learning. So even sort of counted that as like um, leisure time, sort of his study time. So he sort of split it up neatly. He didn't want to waste any hours in the day. And you get that, I think, in the Apostle Paul. So we see time. God has given us time. What is the best way to use that? What do we read in verses 5 to 9 of 1 Corinthians 16? After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while, even the winter, so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. So they must have been sort of a bit touched by that. Well, the, the Apostle Paul thinks that we can even help him, isn't it? That is always touching, isn't it? Do you find that? Has that ever happened to you when someone who is maybe very gifted, someone who seems to have it all together, asks you for help? And it's like, oh, so-and-so just phoned me and asked me for advice. Sometimes that has happened, isn't it? You never guess who phoned me asking for advice. So one of the godliest men I know, most experienced men in and he asked me for advice. I was just wondering if you could tell me what, what you think I should do about this or that. I said, why is he asking me? It's quite humbling, isn't it? I, th- I think that's a nice little touch what Paul does there. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend time. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. I love that. He really loves this church. He wants to spend quality time with the church. And that means a lot, doesn't it, when someone gives you their time. You, you know sometimes when someone doesn't really want to talk to you. Have you ever had that experience? The sort of you're talking to them and maybe they're looking over your shoulder and they're, they're looking at the clock or something or they're looking at something else that's going around. You feel like saying, don't really want to talk to me, do you? <laughs> but it's quite something when someone gives you all their time, all their energy. That's quite moving, isn't it? Uh, I knew of a minister who went to a minister's conference, and the main speaker, he was a very famous speaker, and this minister went up to him and he said, I, I, I just wondered if I could ask you for some help and, and advice about something. And the, the famous speaker said, wait for there one moment, and he went away, and he came back with two chairs, and he put them down. Now, talk. <laughs> That's quite cool, isn't it? I've got all the time for you. I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to look you in the eye, I'm going to listen to you. And you've got my time. You've got my energy. My undivided attention. That's what Paul is like, isn't it? I want to give you my undivided attention. Verse, um, uh, for I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost. Because a great door of effective work is open to me. And there are many who oppose me. That doesn't make sense, really, does it? He's saying, there are lots of people opposing me in Ephesus, so I've got to stay there. (laughs) You'd think he'd say, there are a lot of people opposing me in Ephesus, so I'm on my way straight away. I've got to get out of Ephesus. No, I'm getting a lot of aggro in Ephesus. It's really hard there, so I'm staying there. Apostle Paul, he's such a hero, isn't he? But he doesn't waste any time. We've heard of the saying, haven't we? Killing time. Oh, what are you doing? I'm just killing time. The Apostle Paul never killed time, did he? He was always thinking and planning how best to use his time. 
He's a man with a plan. But he does give God a bit more than just elbow room, doesn't he? He's always saying, well, if it's God's plan, this is what I will do. There's a bit of maneuver in there as well. So we need to use our common sense that God has given us. The Apostle Paul isn't saying, well, I'm going to wait until maybe I see something written in the skies, and that's when I will come to you. No, he's using his common sense, isn't he? This is my plan, and this is what I hope to do, if the Lord wills, isn't it? And then we come to the last and the third resource that God has given the church. The church is made up of people, isn't it? We see that in verses 10 to 24. Uh, But what about verses 10 and 11 to begin with? When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he's with you. What's going on there? He said, don't don't frighten Timothy when he comes. Why is Paul saying that? Well, apparently Timothy was young. He was like the Apostle Paul's apprentice. And he was probably a little bit timid. In one of his letters, the Apostle Paul sort of encourages him not to be sort of timid. So young Timothy is timid, but he is sincere, isn't he? For he is carrying out the work of the Lord, just as I am. Now, there must have been some big characters in this church in Corinth. Do you think so? People who were sort of giving it large. They had a lot of speaking gifts, weren't they? And Paul is saying, come on now, when Timothy comes, respect him, listen to him. Don't you go giving it large. Listen to him. Respect him. Don't go carrying on with your cliques and your drunkenness and your immorality and your selfishness. And then verse 11. No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I'm expecting him along with the brothers. So I think this is like, kind of like another test, isn't it? The Apostle Paul is saying, look, I'm sending Timothy to you and he's going to minister amongst you for a little while. But he's going to come back to me and he's going to give me a report to see if you put my letter into practice. See if you're going to actually live out 1 Corinthians 13. If you are going to start loving if you're going to cut out your sin. Then, I love um, verse 12 then. 1 Corinthians 16, uh, verse 12. I don't think I've got it there. No, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 12. It's about uh, Apollos. Now, about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go. But he will go when he has the opportunity. I think the church of Corinth must have been, ah, well, the, the Apostle Paul was going to send Apollos to us. Because do you remember what happened in 1 Corinthians chapter 1? One section of the church said, oh, we are for Paul. Another section of the church said, oh, we are for Apollos. Another section of the church said, oh, we are for Peter. So you had these three sort of little cliques in the church. And Paul is saying, yeah, I know that some of you like Apollos more than me, but I'm Apollos' friend. I've got no pride. I've got no issues. I'm willing to send Apollos to you. And the church of Corinth should have thought, oh, whoa, what a humble guy Paul is. He's willing to send kind of like his, his competitor to us, isn't he? He's so comfortable in his own skin, isn't he? 
It's such a powerful message. The Apostle Paul is saying, yeah, I'm going to send Apollos to you with my blessing. And then what do we read uh, in verses uh, 13 and 14 then? Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And then do everything in love. Powerful words, aren't they? Why did the church at Corinth need to be firm, courageous, and strong? Because there were some scary sins going on in this church, weren't there? Sexual immorality. People were suing each other in the church. People were getting drunk in the church. There was cliques in the church, division. And Paul is saying, right, you've got to sort all this out. And it's not easy, is it? It's not easy telling someone, look, you've got to cut that out. You've got to stop that. So Paul is saying, look, you're going to need to be firm, courageous, and strong here. They're going to need to be some strong conversations. You're going to have to exercise discipline in some areas in your church here. But then verse 14 is, is essential, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 16 verse 14, do everything in love. So even when you have to correct and rebuke someone for their sexual immorality, for their drunkenness, for them being selfish, for them being divided, a, a divisive person, you've got to do it in love. That's the key, isn't it? And then what about verses 15 to 18 as we come to the end quickly? You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. Now, one commentator in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. Now, one commentator said that Stephanus might be the Philippian jailer. Isn't that quite cool? Could be. The sort of first, he was like, after Lydia, he was like the first convert, wasn't he, in Europe. So you had Lydia, maybe the slave girl was converted, and then you had the Philippian jailer. So he's, he's bringing out some heavyweights now, isn't he, Paul? He's mentioning some famous people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, that's a nice name. It basically means lucky. I wonder how he got that name, isn't it? Fortunatus. Um, and then Achaicus, that's he, according to uh, church history, sort of early church history, he was one of the Sempty. So in the Gospels, Jesus sort of sent out the 12, didn't he? And the Sempty, him, he's mentioned, Achaicus, Achaicus is mentioned as one of the Sempty. So someone who actually knew Jesus, who was sent out by Jesus when the Sempty arrived. Uh, because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. And you might be thinking, why does Paul, at the end of his letters, always mention these different people whose names are really hard to pronounce? <laughs> why does he do this, always mention individuals? This is the reason... At the end of verse 18, such men deserve recognition. 
It's a biblical pattern to mention people by name, isn't it? To say, thank you, uh, Jay, for leading this morning. Thank you, Julia, for doing uh, Sunday school this morning with Jay, isn't it? Thank you, Naomi and Catherine, for doing Excite this morning. I, I, I think there's biblical warrant to, to honour people, isn't it? To give people recognition publicly. Thank God for them, for the work they did, isn't it? You know, thank you, Dave. Who did tea and coffee? Dave and Emily, isn't it? Whoever was at the door, isn't it? And things like that. Thank you, Anime, for being at the door, handing out the Bibles tonight. I, it's, it's, that's a lesson, isn't it? That's what church should do with other members of the church. Thank God for each other. Give them the recognition they deserve. I think it's a powerful lesson. And then, uh, briefly then, verses 19 to 24, as you come right to the end. The churches in the province of Asia. So he's moving from individuals now to whole churches. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. And they must have been, what, us? Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. And so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers and sisters here, the church in Ephesus, send you greetings. And it's a bit like, oh. If, if we knew of a church where there was cliques in the church, there was division in the church, Imagine in this church that the members were taking each other to court. Imagine in the church that there was sexual immorality going on there. Imagine in the church that there was drunkenness going on there. Would we want to be associated with our church? Would we pray for our church? Would we send greetings to them? Probably not. We'd probably want to, well, it's, don't touch that church with a barge pole, isn't it? But then these churches send greetings to them. They're in a mess, yeah. They've got a lot to learn. And hopefully this letter that you're sending, Paul, will change them. It'll change them. And then he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. That, I think they needed to hear that, didn't they? Why, why couldn't he just say a good British handshake or something, isn't it? It does make you feel a bit uncomfortable. What, what is this holy kiss? He said, look, you need to love each other at this church, isn't it? There, there are, there's division in the church. There are cliques in the church. Look, you need to start embracing each other. You need to start hugging each other. It's quite something, isn't it, when you hug someone, isn't it? Maybe someone you've had a bit of a balmy with. Maybe someone that you're divided with. So he said, the, the, the clique that were for Paul, go and hug the clique who are for uh, Apollos. And then go and hug the clique who are for Peter. Get together and embrace each other. You need to be real family and friends, isn't it? You need to be intimate in a pure way together, isn't it? Holy kiss, isn't it? And then I love this, verse 21. Sort of Paul is saying, hey, Sosthenes, hand it over to me now. I think that's what's going on in verse 21. Pass me the pen now. And the Apostle Paul writes it with his own hand. I, Paul, write this in my own hand. This is how much I love you, church at Corinth. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. That's what it all comes down to, isn't it? Loving Jesus. 
And then, come, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, come. That's the last prayer of the Bible, isn't it, in Revelation 22. And then he ends it with grace again. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you, Church of Corinth. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. He's basically saying, I know I've been brutal to you. I know I've probably said some hard things to you. I've given you some strong rebukes. But I only do it because I love you. I really love you. Amen.